Um, you know, we're just grateful for this opportunity we get to worship in this way. And um, as Pastor John mentioned, we are already in the mid, uh, beginning of summer. And, uh, uh, you know, we are just kind of following along and continuing our series in Proverbs. Today we look at this topic of the sluggard. And I don't know about you, but during this time of uh, stay at home, shelter in place, there might have been some bad habits. You know, I'm a, a creature of habits. I liked, uh, and it was really difficult because I like to get up at a certain time, be at the office at a certain time, get certain things done, and have the whole week scheduled out. And I hate when it's out of that control. And so throwing it off of this rhythm was kind of a funk for a while. And now it's back to uh, some form of a rhythm. But hopefully you're waking up at an okay hour. I know some of the teenagers are sleeping. Um, hopefully they're awake. Right? And, uh, uh, but hopefully it's not affecting you too much. But really the Bible calls us not to be sluggards. And when we think about sluggards or someone who is lazy or someone who procrastinates, we often think, well, isn't this just about a motivational thing? You know, isn't this something that um, Tony Robbins might give a, a speech on and you just get motivated to work hard, make money? Isn't that all it's about? But really it isn't. It's a spiritual issue. The Bible talks about this in Proverbs over and over. And so the sluggard is mentioned because this is, not the wise way to live. The wise person, the way of wisdom for the Christian is not to be a sluggard, but to be someone who is productive in this way. And it's interesting because uh, the word sluggard in the ESV translation of Proverbs is mentioned 14 times in our text that we read, verse 13, 14, 15, 16. That word sluggard is in each verse. It's mentioned there. And so it is repeated over and over, and it's as if the person that needs to hear this, the sluggard, might not hear it. And so it is repeated over and over to the sluggard, uh, hear these words. And so we're going to be looking at the characteristics of a sluggard. What do they look like? You know, there's a, a man named uh, Paul Railton. He became very famous or infamous um, in 2009, he was on, the, uh, on almost every newspaper in Britain and even in America, and he was labeled as the laziest man alive. Some said he is the laziest Brit or the lazy Brit, and they kept talking about him. Well, what did he do? Paul Railton was only 23 at the time, and someone who was riding a bike saw him in his car, and outside of his car, he had his arm hanging out, and he was holding on to his dog, and the dog was outside, and he was driving. Since it is Britain, I'm assuming he was on this side of the car, so I'm trying to illustrate it that way. So he gets pulled over, and he tells the police that he is walking his dog on a nice day, and he is driving his car while his dog is running. So he gets fined uh, 66 pounds. He's ordered that he cannot drive and his license is suspended for six months. And so he was known as the laziest Brit around during those times. And that is something you don't want to be known for. That is something that you don't want to be mentioned. And here uh, we see four characteristics of a sluggard in our text today. And I want to try to tie that in with the gospel at the end and how the gospel changes us. Well, first of all, the sluggard is prideful. The sluggard is someone who is prideful. Verse 12 in the text that we read, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? 
There is more hope for a fool than for him, it says. Verse 16, the last verse that we read, it also says, The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So both of the verses there have the same phrase, someone who is wise in his own eyes. The theologians, the scholars call this the mirror of fools. The mirror of fools. It's the fool, and when they look, all they see is a mirror, and they look at themselves. They don't look out a window, but they look at a mirror, and they try to find wisdom by looking into the mirror. This is a prideful person. This is a person who says, I have everything that I need. I know everything I need to know. And so in this mirror of fools, it tells us in verse 12, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So he's saying here that the fool has more hope. Because the fool might listen to someone else. And so the sluggard is categorized now under a fool. Because the sluggard is someone who listens only to himself. And you can imagine the person that knows everything or thinks he knows everything would rationalize all of his decisions. So when someone questions him and someone says, how come this wasn't done on time? How come you didn't meet the deadline and they will rationalize all of these things? Because they are so smart in this way. It says in verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. In Ezra 7.14, uh, it tells us that Artaxerxes had seven advisors. And so in the Old Testament days, seven, the number of perfection, often the rulers had seven wise men or advisors around them. And what the writer of Proverbs is telling us, that this guy, he thinks he is smarter than those wise men, those advisors who would surround the leader, the wisest in the land. He is wiser than seven men who could answer sensibly. So he doesn't listen to anyone. He is unteachable. He thinks he knows everything. And so because of that, he becomes a sluggard. Because he rationalizes all things in his mind. He knows all things, so why go after new things? Why go try to learn? Why go try to grow? Why take advice from someone else when I know everything? This is what the sluggard is like. He is prideful. Secondly, the sluggard is fearful. In verse 13, it says this, The sluggard says, There's a lion in the road, there is a lion in the streets. This is what a sluggard might say. Now, this is a ridiculous excuse, but it shows how fearful he is. He is so afraid of what could be out there, he doesn't want to leave the house. He is so afraid that in his own imagination, the fears that he is projecting dictate where he will go, what he will do. This is how ridiculous it is. There's a line in the road, there's a line in the streets. He thinks and he is saying to himself, if I go out, something might happen. Something terrible might happen. He is fearful. Um, I read an article that had a list of the most ridiculous excuses that were given to bosses. And so some of these bosses, they, they turned them in and they compiled a list. And all of them were terrible. All excuses are terrible in general. But these were some of the bad ones. And I just wanted to share two. One person said to their boss, and this is so bad that it's good. You know one of those categories? It's so bad that it's actually pretty good, but it's still bad. The person says, um, when he calls into work, he says, I, 
the boss says, I had someone call into work saying that they're going to be really late today. And he asked them, why are you going to be late? And the person's response, the excuse was this. He says, I was home sleeping and I was dreaming. And in my dream, I was at work. And so I just kept sleeping because I thought I was at work. And then I woke up and I realized I was sleeping and dreaming. Now that is so bad that it's actually pretty good. There's another one that's worse than this. One boss called in and said their employee called in. They said they had an emergency, a death in the family. But the problem was the boss and the worker, his employee, they were cousins. So they were in the same family. So the boss was saying, what are you talking about? I am your family. Who are you talking about? So these are some of the ridiculous excuses that we heard. And it's often fear that leads to excuses. I can't do this. And now you think about this, even now with this pandemic going on, we ought to be careful, we ought to wear our masks, we ought to wash our hands and be wise, but we ought to not be fearful. We ought to be courageous people. It is fear that paralyzes us. Often it is fear that keeps us from taking the next step. It's fear that keeps us from making commitments to anyone or anything. I don't want to commit to a church, or I don't want to commit to this person. I don't even want to commit to being there next Friday, because I don't know what it might be like. And it's often it's fear that does this to us. Fear paralyzes us to anything new. We say, I just want to stay with the work that I'm doing. I just want to stay with this situation, though, even though I know God wants me to move on. Fear paralyzes us, even in our generosity. Because we say, well, what if? What if I don't have enough? What if I don't make enough? What if tomorrow this happens or that happens? And fear paralyzes us, and we as Christians ought to be people of courage. We ought to be brave. It takes courage, it takes bravery to fight off being a sluggard. Uh, it's interesting, this a couple of weeks ago, Sharon and I watched the video, a talk given by a man named Brian Stevenson. And some of you might have seen this or, or read his book, Just Mercy. And they just recently came out with a movie on Amazon just with that title, Just Mercy, about his life. Brian Stevenson founded the Equal Justice Initiative. He's an African-American man who is fighting for now people on death row and some of the injustice that's been happening there. And uh, so he tells a story. And I wanted to read an excerpt from his book because he says it so well. He uh, is befriended by Miss Joni Carter, uh, Joni Carr rather. Joni Carr is a leader, was a leader in the civil rights movement back in the 60s. And uh, she befriends him and one day she invites him to a lunch with Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks was going to be in town. So they go to lunch and he talks about a little conversation he had with Rosa Parks and Joni Carr. And I just want to read this. Rosa Parks turned to me sweetly and asked, Now, Brian, tell me who you are and what you're doing. I then gave Miss Parks my rap. Yes, ma'am. Well, I have a law project called the Equal Justice Initiative. We're trying to help people on death row. We're trying to do something about prison conditions and excessive punishment. We want to free people who've been wrongly convicted. We want to end unfair sentences in criminal cases and stop racial bias in criminal justice. Miss Rosa Parks leaned back smiling and she says, Oh, honey, that's going to make you tired, tired, tired. We all laughed. I looked down a little embarrassed. Then Miss Johnny Carr leaned forward, 
put her finger in my face and talk to me just like my grandmother used to talk to me and said, she said, that's why you've got to be brave, brave, brave. You're going to be tired, tired, tired. That's why you've got to be brave, brave, brave. And he says this, all three uh, nodded in silent agreement and just for a little while they sat there. In that moment. Now, things will come about and it will take courage. And you will have to now hear those words. You need to be brave, brave, brave. Because if we are fearful, we can now make up the excuses. There's a lion in the street, there's a lion on the road. And what if I go out there and what if this happens? And for the Christians, our vocabulary should never say, what if this happens and keep us from moving? But we should say, with God, even if this happens. And so let me encourage you to take those words, what if, out of your vocabulary and fill it with the phrase, even if. Even if this happens. Even if that happens. God is with me. I have no excuse. I will move on. I will live in this way. It is a sluggard. The third characteristic of a sluggard is someone who seeks comfort always. They always run to the things that are comfortable. And so this is whether it's our own bed, our own people. Uh, this could even be those, uh, I read one commentator talk about how even work, uh, workaholics can be sluggards because they're always running to their work. It's their safe place instead of taking care of their wife or loving their kids. They're workaholics. That's a comfort place. The Bible talks about the comfort place like this in verse 14. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Now this is an image that will be ingrained, right? It's a funny image. A door on its hinge will only go to the same place. It will close, it will open, it will close, it will open. It's attached, it's connected to the wall by the hinge. And he says the sluggard. Is stuck on his bed. It's like a hinge on the bed. It is someone who is now seeking comfort. They run towards that. Um, it's not so much that the person is always in bed. And let me just make a comment here. And I heard uh, John Piper years back give a message about hard work and, and slothfulness and so on. And the first thing he said is, if you are tired and you are lacking energy, he says, go get checked out. Check your thyroid, he said. This is not someone who has a health issue, someone who might have Lyme disease or someone who is dealing with uh, some fatigue or someone that's dealing with, uh, boy, uh, thyroid issues or anything like that. Often people who don't know might say, man, you're, you're, are you being lazy? No, that's not what it's talking about. Right? Sometimes our bodies break down in this way. But this here is really talking about the person who is stuck doing the same routine. The, the comfortable things in life. They go through the comfortable things. They do the same places, same things all the time. First uh, Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. I just want to share that little phrase. Admonish the idle. So he talks about all the different people we ought to talk to, but he says, admonish the idle, the person who is not doing anything of significance. That word idle or idleness is mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, verse 6, uh, 3, verse 6, verse 7, verse 11, in 5, 14, and 1 Thessalonians as we looked at. 
It doesn't mean that someone that's sleeping or in bed, but the word idle, one commentator says, it literally means someone who is disorderly or irresponsible might be a better translation. So the picture is someone who is out of line or out of order with the patterns and expectations of the community when it comes to work. So everyone, when they wake up and head out to work, the disorderly or the idle are still sleeping, still hanging around. But the irony is, it's not that, that they're not doing anything. They're often just busybodies. And Second uh, Thessalonians 3.11 says, We hear that some of you walk in idleness. You walk in idleness. That's the picture of the door on a hinge. You're going back and forth. It's closing and opening, closing and opening, but you're walking in idleness. And he says in that verse, not busy at work, but busy bodies. And so this is talking about the person that is attached like a door to a hinge that makes a lot of movements, but they're just simple busy bodies. They're doing things that aren't productive. They're getting in people's business. They're gossiping about others. They're wasting time in this way. We've all heard that, uh, or many of us have heard that uh, phrase, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Um, it is in the 4th century, Jer uh, St. Jerome, who says, engage in some occupation so that the devil may always find you busy. And it's the same idea. That when you are busy and when you are doing the things you ought to be doing and you're being productive, you're going to work when it's time to work, you're resting when it's time to rest, and so on and so forth, that even the devil can't tempt you during those times. Um, and maybe you are struggling with procrastination. You know, psychologists talk about procrastination not simply as someone who's lazy or uh, unmotivated, but... They talk about procrastination and they say that it's more of a coping mechanism. So you have a big project ahead of you, right? A project with a deadline that is due. And instead of tackling that, what do you do? You, you run to something else that gives you a temporary sense of pleasure so that you have a little boost from doing this so you could forget about what's coming up next. So it is, you got a project that's due, you got a deadline you have to meet, and you know you have to hammer this out and you catch yourself now looking on Facebook or you're looking, shopping for the best deals. Oh, what if I were to buy a car or buy a, a computer? And you're just looking around because it gives you a momentary boost in your head. Hey, this feels good. This is a little pleasure. This is a little time for me to forget before I have to go and do what I have to do. And so we are called not to be people who just run towards the comforts of life, but to go and do hard things, go and try different things, go and walk in faith and get things done. In the, there was an article published in the New York Magazine and it's titled, Nine Writers on the Most Outrageous Ways They Procrastinate. Nine writers. And they reflect back on their lives. And the ways that they would do this, right? They procrastinated. They, they sought out temporary uh, ways to find some kind of a uh, mood boost. Uh, one man, Patrick Lenton, talks about, he said this, I did a four-year arts degree instead of just finding a job after I graduated the first time. The outside world was so terrifying that I just enrolled in another degree and hung around the university bars and libraries for a few more years. Right? Uh, one other author, uh, Talia Pritchard, talks about how she had 
she was doing some freelance work and she had to finish a project and instead of doing the project when it was due, she sat on her computer, read through a job description for her friend, redid her resume, and it took more time to do that than it would have been for her to finish this project on time. And so, uh, this is the person. Next time you open the door, don't be like the door. Don't be stuck on a hinge and go back and forth, but go and be productive. Go and spend time in the Word. What reason, what excuse do we have now? Go and spend time reading the Bible. Go and spend time talking with loved ones. Go and spend time being productive at work. Finish the things you have to get done. And the fourth characteristics, characteristic of a uh, sluggard is they start, but they don't finish. We've all done that, right? And maybe this time you started a project at home. You've been at home for now three months. Maybe you started a, a puzzle. Maybe you started uh, trying to build a model something and you start something and you don't finish. It says here in verse 15, and this is a funny picture that we have of a person who starts something. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> this is silly. This is ridiculous. Uh, something similar is mentioned in Proverbs 12, 27. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. So it's like they've, they've caught the animal, whatever they're going to eat. All right? Let's say they caught, catch a wild boar and someone gives it to them. The slothful person, they will not cook it. And so it sits there and they'll start rotting and they'll complain about their hunger. They start something. They might have got, gone out and caught the game. They might have gone out and, boy, made a dish. But when it comes to completion, they dig their hand in. They don't have the energy to lift it up. They catch now the game and they don't have the time or the, you know, the, the, the wherewithal to cook it and to eat it. They just let it be. I remember when I was, a, I think I was a junior in college, uh, we had three other roommates, so four of us, we rented a house. It was a pretty nice four-bedroom house, so all of us lived in a house, uh, in a room in the house. And I remember the first week of school, we thought, oh, let's go and splurge, and we put our money together. And I think it was, uh, we went to the uh, grocery store, and we spent something like $500. And we all had a cart, all of us had one cart filled with food and we said let's man let's cook it'll be fun and we spent a, a good chunk of our monthly allowance money whatever it was and we bought $500 of food and we packed it in and I still remember the first couple days we called all our friends come on over I'm gonna cook for you you know we're gonna you know we're gonna eat but the problem is that we had to do dishes and all four of us no one liked to do the dishes and we just kind of left it there and you know how it goes before you know it, when four guys and their friends start eating, it is now piled up this high. Our trash bags were, it, and I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating, we had trash bags in the kitchen filled with trash, and we just would open another one because no one wanted to take it out. Because the rationale was, well, those aren't all my dishes, I'm not going to do it all. Well, that's not all my trash, I'm not going to do it all. So for the first fall quarter, after about the first week and a half, for the first fall quarter, we started avoiding the kitchen completely. And I, for about two months, the dishes were still there, the trash was still there, 
And then now the little creatures are all showing up, right? We had $500 worth of food, and we barely put a dent in it. But we didn't want to cook it, and we didn't want to go and eat it, because it meant I have to do the dishes, clean the pots in order to do this. I didn't make that dish dirty. My roommate did. I'm not going to do it. And we ended up putting it all to waste. This is the sluggard. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. He puts his hand in. He doesn't eat this. They say that Michelangelo attempted in his lifetime to carve 44 statues, but he finished 14. The most famous is the statue of David that uh, many of us have seen. Of the 30 he didn't finish, you know, there are still artifacts of that. So there'll be chunks of marble and you'll see just an elbow or a leg or a thigh or knee or foot. But the rest of the body is still locked up inside this whole marble. It hasn't been chiseled out. Imagine if he finished. Imagine if people were able to look at all of these things. You know, uh, a few years back for our staff, we read this book. And I talk, it was by uh, Admiral William McRaven. And he talks about it. His whole thesis, he says, is you should make your bed every morning. And he starts by this, and he's given commencement speeches and talks in front of companies and leaders about making your bed every morning. And this is his idea. He says, if you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task and another and another. By the end of the day, the one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. So we get up and do something small, he is saying. Go and do something. The sense of satisfaction you get from finishing this, cleaning my desk, washing my car, finishing my project, turning in my work, a little bit of sense of pride we get makes us want to now go and do the rest. It is the sluggard that gets the game that he caught and says, I'm not going to cook. I'm too tired to cook. He gets the dish of food someone's given to him or he's gotten and he's buries his hand and says, oh, I'm too tired to eat. The sluggard finishes. And you know, we think about uh, the one who starts and finishes. We think about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you read the Gospels, he is there. He is introduced as the one who shows up with the Gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Mark introduces him. And then at the end of the Gospel, we hear the, hear the words from him. It is finished. He's completed it all. We see him all throughout the scriptures, talking about very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he is out there praying. The disciples are trying to find him because he's out there praying. Late at night, he is praying. He is seeking God. He is going to different towns to visit different people. And you see a person who does not have any bit of this slothfulness, this sluggard-like characteristic in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, the, this is who he is. And we want to be like Him. We want to follow Him. You know, the Bible uh, reminds us of these truths. And I want to wrap up by just sharing these thoughts. Genesis 2 tells us that God created us for us to work, right? In 2.15, to work the Garden of Eden and keep it. Work is what we are designed for. 
And so there's a sense of satisfaction that we work. Now, hard work is something we look forward to, that it gives us a sense of satisfaction. I think nothing else, like nothing else, to finish something. Uh, the graduations we got to watch now online uh, is, a, is a picture of someone finishing their work. Man, the sense of pride that we see here. But also, God doesn't just give us work to do. He gives us rest. The pattern he shows us in Genesis 2, 3, he blessed the seventh day, made it holy because on it God rested from all his work and he had done in creation. And he calls it the Sabbath, to take the day. And we as Christians now take some time. We have a break. Rest is only restful if you work. If you are resting and you don't have anything else to do, it is not restful. Rest is created as an answer to work. And so we work hard when it's time to work, we rest, and we enjoy the sweetness of it when it's time to rest. And so I encourage you to work, as the, Paul says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So this week, what do you have to get done? Uh, what lies ahead of you? What work has God given to you? Let me encourage you to say about these things and fill in this phrase. Don't say, I have to finish the project. I have to be there. I have to have this meeting. But I want you to change that to the words, I get to do this. It is a privilege. It is a calling from God for us to live our lives for Him. Our time is for Him. The work He gives us is a gift from Him. So we do this with joyfulness. I get to do these things. And then we get to rest when it's time. And so let me encourage you to be wise with your time, with your work, with where you spend uh, your leisure. And let's ask God, God, find any ways like this of a sluggard in me, and Lord, help me to live productive, uh, passionate lives for you. Uh, may that be your life. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, so we give you our lives. Uh, you are the Lord of our lives. You are the Lord of our time. You give us work to do, and we do this wholeheartedly. We do this to bring glory to you. So this week, would you help us to live for you in this way? Uh, we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close in the last song, I just want to invite you to a little time of prayer. And if you would just bow your heads um, where you are at, before you walk away, before you shut things off, let me invite you to just spend the moment in prayer. This is the first day of the week, and would you dedicate this week to the Lord? Would you say to the Lord, Lord, I give you this week. Help me to live for you. Would you think about all the burdens and the work that you have ahead of you? And would you say, Lord, give me joy in the work that I do. Help me to accomplish this with the energy you give to me. And so, would you dedicate your work, all the things you have to get done, would you dedicate that to the Lord? Say, I do this for you to bring glory to you. And so let's dedicate this upcoming week to God. Let's bow our heads just for a moment and let's pray and dedicate it to God.